This is CliffCentral.com. The Unview, the Thin, the Rich, and the Fabulous on CliffCentral.com. And it's a good morning to you and to you and especially to you. Well, I must tell you, um, I think that uh, after the Easter weekend, we've had uh, quite a few, a few surprises in South Africa because two wonderful legends have left this earth. The one is uh, Mawini, Madikizela Mandela, and the other one being Pam Golding. Unfortunately, I had very little do, to do with property, I guess, but um, I, I do wish that fraternity all the greatness and the peace that they can have because I think making beautiful homes is a good thing. So a tribute to Pam Golding, that's how we would start. But a bigger tribute to Mawini Madikizela Mandela. And I want to tell a, a very interesting story. I was quite young at the time, I think going 19 years ago, 21, 22. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, a caller phoned in to 702 in Cape Talk and asked me uh, why my views about this woman were quite strong and why I respected her and called her a hero. And um, But she's a murderer and the most, I guess, Ignorant things people can generally say about people And um, I just said, you know Let me make a statement about things that I have learnt In my very youth of my life And um, one thing was poignant that I think in war times people do war things And in the times of hatred and sorrow and pain And when you, you're fighting continuously um, You do things that might not be your best But I think your deliverance comes in with one small notion that your consistency at least was there. And I think that is why I thought that on that day, a white chubby boy that lived in Johannesburg and was flourishing in Santon was able to say that was one of the heroes of my day. Not because of all that stuff but I think just because people need to come together and help one another and I think someone like Mawini did some magnificent things even in the fight in the struggle in the peace and I want to tell you I followed her uh, through a lot of her process and what she did and why people of Soweto loved her so much it was because of one interesting thing she attended as many funerals as possible it sounds very stupid but she Paid respect to her community The people that stood with her That came and ate at her home And I'll never forget going to a funeral with her And she pitched up, she pitched tents outside her house And people just came to eat And I think that's what you do in love And in death And in kindness And in compassion And then I was honoured To spend a couple of nights in her home At various occasions And um I don't eat meat today or chicken, but I must tell you, I did have a trap curry. And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't do internal organs. She said, but I made the food, you eat the food. With my, my, my with Marilo. So, uh, I just want to do a tribute just to say to the Madikazela and Mandela families, you know what? You guys got to be proud about all your people and the way it has, in some sense, Completely played out 
And uh, today I've got two of the most phenomenal people sitting with me in studio. And I use that word phenomenal. Firstly, Peter Dirkes. Or is it Evita? No, no let, let me get this very, very clear. Uh, let's, uh, Peter Dirk can't stand Evita. And Evita most certainly will never associate with a moth like Peter Dirk. And on the other hand, you've got a legend, thespian, not lesbian, thespian, um, Shakespearean performer. Is it five fluida cups now? I think it's five. Six, seven, seven. seven. Oh, set lots of them. Oh, you've got, you've got the, the lifetime achievements. Uh, <laughs> David Dennis. And, 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 and uh, it's such an honor to have these two people in the studio with us today. And, um, Generally Nathan Rowe and we're going to play songs and make you sing songs. Um, is there anything you'd like to sing, gentlemen? Peter Dirk. Yo conversen mei matras en dale, didan. Dale. That should have been the anthem of the new South Africa. <laughs> and, um, David, anything you'd like to sing? Oh, Lord, now you put me on the spot. Um, no, not at the moment, I'm afraid. I have to do my warm-up. Uh, okay, but you've got to just... Okay. Um, okay, let's remember the microphone, people. You know. Oh, is that what that thing is? Goodness it's me. This age, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so, um, I'm going to go to the lines. Because on the line, I think we've got uh, one of the most phenomenal... I call him Mrs. Producer, because she is. Uh, people like Hazel Feldman, Janice Honeyman, as women, have created incredible things in South Africa. So, um, Hazel Feldman, welcome to the line, Mrs. Producer. Morning, gentlemen. How are you? And a very good morning to you, Hazel. And, and from me too, Hazel. Hazel. Alan, Alan aside from, from you, and I'm just going to say this, uh, you have my four favorite people, four favorite human beings in that room with you, with uh, David and Peter. Uh, really, uh, two, two of the, the most wonderful strong and inspirational woman I've ever met and two of the kindest, most compassionate and special gentlemen I've ever met. So what can I do? You got it all in one package yet. Well, Hazel, uh, something interesting that, especially as a producer, what is the, the magic that these two hold? Uh, just exactly that. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a sense of knowing. Um, it, it's a sense of of uh, understanding the essence of humanity um, with male and female and uh, it just that's just something that makes them extraordinary uh, and and that's what translates the minute they get up on that stage you you're with them you believe them you you understand where they're coming from and you relate uh, and, and they have that gift to be able to uh, let an audience know exactly what they're thinking at any given time and feeling at any given time. And, and uh, as, as an audience, you empathize. Hazel Feldman, thank you very much for opening the show. Okay, big hugs and kisses to you all. Lots of love. Hazel Feldman, thank Mrs. You. Producer. Amazing. And, and yes, thank you, Hazel. Good Lord. And she's really, truly also done some extraordinary things going into the jungle of major, I want to actually say lion-hearted theater. I mean, it's not like a small auditorium. These are these huge auditoriums that they perform. And she has done it. She's done it with her 
fantastic smile and and I must tell you something her discipline because she taught us all a lesson on you start the moment you open your eyes you start working and you just work 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 that's what it's about that's what we do all the time so i'd like to start um continuing the tribute because i think it's quite exceptional and uh, uh, peter dirk you specifically brought up last night in your performance um the time you met Winnie Mandela Well so much is being written And uh, Some nasty things on the social media Which seems to be the pulpit for rubbish I get very angry Because there was a mo- Among extraordinary moments uh, It was 1992 91-92 Just after Nelson Mandela had been out of prison for a year mm. On a Sunday morning I had to get back to Cape Town from Joburg With Evita because I had to do a job Mm. Uh, for at, at lunchtime with Evita Besaitnet. So I got to the, uh, the, the Jan Smitzler Harvard, uh, for a seven o'clock plane. And as I was booking in, the lady said to me at the counter, she said, Winnie Mandela's just come, she's just gone through. I said, who? Winnie Mandela's just gone through to security. So I thought, okay, so I'll go through and there's Winnie at security putting her bag through and I took two steps back in case the bag exploded, but it didn't. It went through the security. Mm. Um, and went through with, and of course I had Evita's dress in a, in a hanger in my hand. With the wig. But, no, the wig was in the bag, mm. but, the, but the dress. Mm. Um, and so I put that through security, and Winnie was packing up her things on the other side, and I said, hello, Mrs. Mandela, and she whipped round like Wonder Woman, you know, with fists ready to dawn on me, you know. What? And I said, no, 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 it's Peter Doge. She said, oh, darling, darling, hello. And she put her arms around me. I love you, I love you. And Nelson loves you, and we all love you. We love you, love you. She said, are you going, where are you going? You're going to Cape Town. I said, yes. She said, oh, so am I. Um, are you flying business? I said, yes. She said, oh, well, then I will be your guest in the lounge. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine. So we go up the steps, and I've got my hanger with Evita, and she's got her hanger with also clothes. She said, who's in your hanger? I said, Evita Besaidnet. I said, and who's in yours? She said, Mrs. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> so we're going to the lounge, just about half past seven. I'm a silly, we both had a whiskey. <laughs> and when we got into the aeroplane, uh, and aeroplane took off, she left economy where she was sitting and she came and sat next to me in business. And I must tell you something, I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her charisma and her sense of humor and her beautiful laugh, that beautiful, soft, honey laugh. I fell in love with her naivety. You know, she said, does the clerk mean what he says? Do you trust him? Uh, I just would, you know, I just thought I could never make fun of this woman again. She is just so extraordinary. And when we got to D of Milan Luchava in Cape Town, there was the football team, the bodyguards, with their mm-hmm. eyes, crushed glass for eyes. I mean, she was still Bette Midler, but they were the Kimmer Rouge. Mm-hmm. And the lesson I learned then is don't fall in love with your targets. But we kept a very, very... Loving friendship through the years. I mean, uh, sending flowers for birthdays and sending messages and things. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, Evita sent her a little, a little tweet saying, you know, goodbye, Winnie. Give our love to Nelson and we're going to miss you. Mm. And you'll be surprised how much hatred came back on the Twitter saying, no, we won't miss. No, we won't miss. You're amazing with the NMR crime. And what's wrong with them? They are so awful. People must stop this nonsense. You know what? Allow people to have rest. And yes, but not in public. It's like doing graffiti in a cathedral. You don't no, do that. You don't no, do that. You don't do that. And uh, David Dennis, I mean, incredible that uh, that you went to school with uh, Zinzi and Zanani uh, in Swaziland. That is correct. Yeah, Waterford College. Mm. Um, that's just dating back to 
1972-73. So, I, although I didn't meet, now you must understand that my, uh, when I think of uh, Nomzana, Nomzana Nifred, Madigizela Mandela, I knew her as Auntie Winnie, as so many of us did. Mm. In fact, um, I saw a good old friend of ours last night. We were somewhat of a three musketeers, I suppose, Sibilela Mohobo, Zinzi, and myself. Mm. Um, so we grew up knowing her as Auntie Winnie. Yes, we were aware of the iconic figure. We were aware of the entire life struggle. Um, so my, when I, you know, of course with the, uh, media, etc. As that uh, image grew, uh, the negative image and all of that was mm. perpetuated in the media as it got worse and out of um, out of control. Um, one had very great difficulty trying to reconcile that understanding as a child to what I, you know, as I got older, understanding why everybody had such uh, strong feelings. Of course, when you know it, it, it all uh, comes out in the wash, shall we say? Mm. My um, um, First meeting with her was actually in Cape Town in the 80s. Um, of course, it was in the state of emergency at that time. I was still a very young student at UCT, and we received a call. My mum had been in contact, obviously, throughout that period with Auntie Winnie, uh, and on her frequent vis- uh, visits to Antarctica, to Kunu nearby, to the great place. Mm. Um, so she frequently popped in and, you know, and always made, uh, remade acquaintance with my mum. And so that friendship lasted over many years. Um, and we went to a house, we received this call, didn't know who it was. Of course, it was conducted with the correct kind of protocols for the time and under the state of emergency, uh, this, uh, the requisite care. And we arrived at a house, if I remember correctly, it was somewhere in Kales River. And the host of, at that occasion was, if I remember correctly, uh, Fatima Mir. Mm. We went into the house and we were... Uh, asked to sit down, offered a cup of tea, and all the while it was this mystery. Um, uh, and after a certain time, um, the door opened from one of the rooms uh, in the part of the house, and out walked this incredibly statuesque lady, dressed from head to toe in red, looking quite striking, and always in the flesh so much more beautiful than all of the, you know, the pictures that we have of her. And one of my most treasured memories is a picture that Zinzi gave to me when we were both 14, 15, of her mum. And it's fairly iconic now, the young Auntie Winnie with the headscarf, uh, you know, folding over the one shoulder um, and standing at what looks like a dresser, a sideboard. But that that is an image that I still have in my photo album somewhere, along with all my childhood memories. So it's a very much more personal uh, um, a memory that I have uh, through my association and friendship with Zinzi and all of us who went to Waterford in that period. And I'll say one thing, <clears throat> black doesn't crack. Seriously, the woman never cracked. How incredible. Black don't crack. No. And she wasn't fat, so uh, my new saying is like, fat don't crack. <laughs> so fat don't crack and black don't crack. <laughs> that, I mean, you were just talking about that picture. That I, in, in the 80s, Sue, Sue McGregor was working for the BBC and she came out to do an interview with Winnie in, in this also mid-80s in Soweto and came back with this beautiful colour picture of that wonderful, iconic Winnie in all those marvellous mm-hmm. materials. And she'd written on it, Dear Mr. Ace, this is the age, Dear Mr. Ace, uh, we admire you when you 
do me on stage, please look like this. <laughs> and you know, I do when I have the time. I do my, my Winnie look mm. and I've sent her a few of the pictures and we have a wonderful laugh about that too. So people just must always remember that extraordinary, the sort of the dual personality of the public person and the private person yes. and the mm. wonderful sense of humor. I think again, Nelson Mandela changed the world with his sense of humor. Somebody will get a degree one day analyzing how he managed to not change just South Africa, but every single person who came into contact with his legacy. But Winnie also, she had, as you were saying, you know, she had a generosity of spirit. Um, and when she had to put on her survival outfit and her oxygen tent of democracy, she uh, had to get out and do it, you know. Um, uh, and so I think as time goes by, we will also be able to balance all the information with the rumors and the gossips and find the truth. After I made that statement on radio, um, I got a phone call. And um, she said to me, would you like to come to my house? And um, I was kind of shocked that you were listening at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I asked her the question, you were listening at 5 o'clock in the morning. She said, well, you know, in the struggle, you never slept. You got up at 4. And the people <laughs> still get up at 4. I get up and, at four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Peter Dirk has been a long struggle. <laughs> it's a constant struggle. But um, I must just tell you, both in, in, in both your rights, and we're going to get into it, uh, incredible careers. So different, yet so similar. And, and, and it's very interesting because, Peter Dirk, please tell that, that you, you knew uh, uh, David as a youngster. At the Space Theatre. That's yeah. Um, now, where is that? Let's, let's well, put it in the Space Theatre was started oh, by Long Street in Cape Town. Yeah, the Long Street, the Suderman Gomorra van die Lekkero Kaap. I mean, it was, it was a w- old warehouse, was it? A warehouse uh, factory? It was a YMC, I don't know, a young men's. No, that was the second one. The oh, one, yes, they yes, moved yes, to yes, that. Yes, but the original one was a sort of a really old square building with cement steps and with a very low ceiling. And there was a sort of a tri, a three-sided space venue where you performed on the stage. Brian Asbury, Yvonne Bryceland, Ethel Fugard, Moira Fine, um, Unity, your mom, um, the, the, the absolute pillars of of trust and they just against all the odds it was against the law everything we did there we broke the law it was against the law to allow black and white people to sit in the audience we broke that law it was against the law to have black and white actors on stage together we broke that law it was against the law to focus on forgotten places like Robben Island or Banned terrorists like Nelson Mandela, we broke that law. Mm. It was against the law to be homosexual, we broke that law. It was against the law to be naked on stage, some of the others broke that law. <laughs> so we were on the edge of, and, and the one thing that really truly saved my life was the sense of humor that we developed. We just laughed at fear. We were not frightened. We were not phased. We didn't censor because we just put it all on stage and we used to have security police. As staff, I mean, every now and then there'd be a very good stage manager. I mean, who was working for nothing but 10 rand a day. Or no, not even that, less. And we would say, but why, you know, where does he come from? Security policeman. And so, well, he was a pal. We drank together. Sometimes we even slept together. Uh (laughs) And the fact is they never stayed. They never stayed. They left too soon because there was nothing to report on. We did it all on stage. So we learned to live with that fear which always, I always believe that if you laugh at fear, it makes that fear less fearful. It doesn't take away the lethal quality. It can kill you, but you've got your eye on it. Never take your eye off the target of fear. Explain, give, give us an example. 
I can give you a thousand examples. Fear was the whole fear of are you, can you, as somebody who was brought up in a Calvinist Christian Afrikaans background, actually do these things that actually negates everything that you believed in as a supposedly educated person, that apartheid was bad. That it wasn't a gift from God. Apartheid is a hot gegeven I mean, that's what I was taught. Luckily, I grew up in a house of musicians, my father and my mother. My mother, from Berlin, uh, left Berlin in 1936. Only after she died did we find out that she was Jewish. How's that for a denial? Really, yeah. And so I was sure. also brought up never to name names, never to treat people as second-class citizens. Um, uh but fear was there all the time, and I think I conquered my fear probably for the first time at the age of 55 or 60, when I realized that that fear had to be given a name. Mm. Give it a name, make it your pet. What was the name? Or what was it? Well, I'd just say darling. Okay. I'll, you know? We're going to go, we're going to, um, cause, cause I'm, I, <clears throat> I must just tell you that incredible, incredible performances, I continue to watch you both in. Okay, we're going to get back to darling, but let's go back to darling. Well, it's just, you know, in the new South Africa, white, I'm a white person. I'm responsible for apartheid. No matter what I did in the old days, breaking the law to try and improve things, I am privileged, and I was privileged because of the system. The fear of how do I apologize, do I, and there was, I never needed to. Nobody ever asked me to apologize. This majority of people had all the, all the right in the world to put me against a wall and shoot me for what I rep- represented just said, come. Give me your hand. Let's go. Let's do this together. Nelson Mandela, he just said, no, no, come, come, come. And um, my fear evaporated, my fear of of that uh, inevitability of guilt. I now guilt, use guilt very creatively. I'm not shy of it. I will say, yes, I'm responsible, and I will make sure that as long as I am alive, it will not be allowed to happen again because bad politics will I- invent itself very quickly. History does repeat, or history depends how you see. History or history, yeah. yeah, correct, yeah. Or it rhymes. Oh, now we just send them on a hearse, and then they. Go. Well, it rhymes from apartheid to tripartite, from Amandla to Nkandla, and now thanks to Cyril, back to Amandla. <laughs> <laughs> the show at Monte Cassino Theatre, yes, um, is called When in Doubt Say Darling. Yes, 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 and it, it is. It's a great show. I, I, I had the, the the privilege of watching it. Last night mm. And loved it But Peter Dirk You're not coming in For a comedy show This is This is a A piece about In my Opinion um, Maturing Growing older Becoming wiser And Starting to put things In boxes As you realize Who you are well, well, you know, it's uh, comedy is a funny word. Um, you know, Peter Durgay's comedian. I don't mind what they call me. They call me all sorts of names, uh, cross dresser and blah. I don't mind. I know what I am, so that's not a problem. So, you know, all my targets were not funny. Apartheid was not funny. There was not a single laugh to be had at the expense of the people who suffered you under suffered, apartheid. Yeah. There was nothing funny about the denial around HIV and AIDS, where we lost three hundred eighty thousand people because our president looked the other way. However, the hypocrisy was funny. The hypocrisy of educated people who knew 
what the problem was and looked the other way. That has not changed. That went through the whole uh, Mbeki presidency where people yeah. in his cabinet did not say, excuse me, Mr. President, but HIV does lead to AIDS. And it happened around the presidency of Jacob Zuma where they knew they were thieving and stealing like common little criminals and said nothing. So the humor is there. We laugh not because it's funny, but because we recognize the corruption. Yeah. I see a big difference between comedy and humor. Comedy is the joke that you remember to tell somebody else. Yeah. But humor is very, very personal. It's your way of confronting your fear. And that's like a fingerprint. Everybody's sense of humor is a different thing. And the worry now today for me is that our new generation of free young South Africans who have taken freedom for granted, they don't even spell it properly anymore. They've had an irony bypass. And that's puts us in a very tricky position making jokes quote unquote making a humorous statement about things that are going wrong in a production which if the law is passed can be seen as hate speech everything mm -hmm. i said on stage last night somebody could call hate speech if they hated what i said so it's a worry freedom of speech is fragile we must protect it david dennis now besides of course a phenomenal actor and uh, it was lovely to see you receive the fluid cup and I'd like to just because because the year before you received the lifetime achievement, yes, um, the, yeah, the achievement before. to be alive. I know, <laughs> and, and you guys have like lots of it, but um, it was an incredible performance, and I tell you why a lot of people felt that way. David, firstly, it's a difficult role to play, and the role is that of not only a drag. Artist, which is artistry, but a transsexual. And to pull that off night after night in this amazing production, people were, people thought that you were not a man. Uh, and it's interesting because you come from the university lecturing, doing all this, this, this thespian brilliant stuff to going on stage and playing one of the most interesting, I think, characters. Um, in a piece And a very special piece What was it like doing that? Gosh it was was, How did you get it? You know I think what, A lot of tribute must A be paid to Hazel For, for mm. banking on me And for going out of the way to say Well um, don't you want to come along and meet these people And do an audition etc And it was literally four days before the Australians were leaving Going back and on that Sunday, that was the Wednesday, Thursday, on that Sunday, I got a message called from Hazel saying, the Australians are leaving and they'd like to know if you'll accept a contract. Well, it, I was just gobsmacked because I hadn't been on musical theatre stage for, what, 10, 15 years or something? But this is Priscilla. For Priscilla, yes, yes. Queen, of Sorry, Priscilla yeah. Queen of the Desert. Sorry, Priscilla Queen of the Desert. And I thought, gosh, this is a challenge. Uh, first of all, I absolutely loved the movie. I think it's a great film. You take away all the other pizzazz, etc. The, the essence of that narrative is a very strong and powerful one, a, a man. And reuniting with his you know, estranged wife and, and, and son, uh, an older man finding love who you know, joins him on this journey, a younger man who is rejected by family, mm. all of those kinds of very interesting uh, textured and you know, uh, uh, narratives that all combine. And of course, in this most unlikely setting, the outback, mm. you know, where else? Mm. Uh, it was quite astonishing when it did come out. Um, never did I think that I would end up playing in a musical version of it, uh, you know, some, what, 20 years later. Um, but 
besides Hazel, of course, the team that came from Australia and our resident team mm. were incredibly supportive. You know, everybody says that about their production companies and, and, and the people that they work with. But this was a truly special occasion for me because it was a very delicate and fragile one to, to pull off. And my principal decision was about, was, was about how to achieve credibility. Um, and, and, uh, empathy, uh, 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 because I didn't want simply to do a show thing. And yes, one could get away doing the impersonation mm. and doing the drag thing and pulling off the choreography and the costumes. But I wanted a little bit more. And I took the cue from the, the tagline. Uh, if you remember the poster will say yes. journey to the heart of fabulous, mm. but particularly because that character is based on a real person. Mm. And that's where I wanted to key into. And the choreographer, the re- uh, directors allowed me to go there. They gave me considerable leeway. Even though this is a formula show, it's one of those kinds of things. You fit into what the plan is. Simon Phillips directed like this. This is where we go with it. Mm. Uh, the inflections, you know, the movements, the gesturing, everything is placed. But I found a lot of that. They gave me a lot of latitude. And it has lots of interesting uh, coincidences around it because when I did further research, I'd heard about this character called Carlotta. My grandparents used to visit our family in Australia regularly mm. and came away with this, you know, having been to Paddington, uh, King's Cross in, in Sydney, uh, gay clubs and the, you know, the, the, the review bars and all this sort of thing. And they were taken to see the performance. They were astonished by it. Um, so that's what I really wanted to do. And on the set, um, all of Bernadette, the character Bernadette that I played, um, all her stations, you know, the dressing room bits and pieces that uh, when they go into show mode in the, in, in the, in the, uh, in the show, um, had pictures of, uh, Carlotta, mm. uh, Richard uh, Bryant, I think his name is. He's now 71 and still touring the mm. outback in shows mm. in Australia. Um, and a lot of the ladies in the car said, no, no, that's, that's absolutely a woman. That's not a man. That's not a man in drag. And we found, I found all the business that that is who this is. And it was so convincing. Um, I felt it would be a crying shame if I didn't actually pay tribute to the courage of a man who underwent, uh, the, the sexual, you know, transformation at a very nascent stage in this medical procedure. Um, and went through with it, uh, so courage and fortitude. Mm. So it's it's not only about paying tribute to women, paying tribute to a real person on whom the character is based, but also on those who have chosen the path of transgender. Um, you know, not an easy not an easy decision. Two phenomenal guests in studio. This is CliffCentral dot com. My name is Alan Ford, and uh, generally it's. Um the way we said it, it's the thin, the rich, and the fabulous. I'm not sure <laughs> who's thin, who's that rich. I, I used to be able to claim that, <laughs> Dolly, but I know I'm fabulous, baby. Let's <laughs> shake it up. Um, and two very special guests in the studio: Peter Dirk Ace, the one and only, and David Dennis. What a phenomenal show going to Daphne's place, and I, I always call it Daphne. I always call it like Peter's place and Daphne's place and Richard's place, and yeah. <laughs> it was actually called Richard's place at one point in time, and Hazel's place. And but uh, Green Man Flashing, incredible production. Nice to come in to this this show. Yeah, I was a bit daunted again. It's a complete, complete shift, absolute shift from 
from Bernadette um, and having to plumb sure. the depths and find this common man. This um, and it's a rather interesting because, like a lot of the inspectors, you know, that we mm. uh, featured from satire to uh, you know black humor, or, you know, absurd. Wonderful characters, you know, the Poirots, uh, all of those that we know, the Agatha Christie kind of thriller, um, uh, to the Inspector Truscott of the Orton plays and so on, um, the, the sort of affable, bumbling idiot, but who's quite a, a you know, a, a sleuth. Uh, and incisive, although it, you know, you the impression you get is somebody who's not on top of it. So it was quite. Uh, it's been very interesting finding that balance, um, because I love tempering the drama with humour. I, I I can't just do a flat, uh, a flat white performance. It has to have all kinds of uh, stuff in it uh, to make it interesting to play. And I think to to sustain the performance not only nightly but across the season. Mm. And I love not necessarily embellishing, but. It growing that knowledge and uh, understanding of the character that you're playing. So it's been great finding that because it is, it's a wonderfully crafted play, political thriller, and most time is, um, uh, 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 you know, fine crafting from Mike van Gran, whose repertoire, his canon of work yeah, is something like that yeah. he plays. So, yeah, brilliant. I, I, I played in his, um, a piece that premiered at 2009 at the, at the Market Theatre, Brothers in Blood. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal uh, success that travelled up and down across the country to the National Arts Festival a couple of times. Beautifully received. Uh, I mean, uh, again, he has that ability to, to key and to hone mm-hmm. in onto issues. A lot of them uncomfortable, yes, um, but I think that is the job of theatre. Well, um, Peter Dirk, you know that, that, that's possibly one of the, the most important things to do with your audience is to make them, well, moved in some sense, or laugh in some sense, or, you know, something that's gonna, gonna shift their perception in some sense, because it's not a movie. No, no. It's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's tangible. Is that, is that well, fair? Every performance is your first one and your last one mm. because it'll never be the same because it's a different audience every night. The laughs are different, mm. timing is different, tension is different. Um, and that is, that is for me the energy, the incredible energy I get from a live audience. You don't get an energy from a camera. The camera rapes you and steals everything out of you and spits you out. You know, there goes Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Um, but in the theater, you've got that fantastic passion. Mm-hmm. Um, live is live and that's why I think it's been going for 2,000 years and people mm-hmm. say the theatre is dying no darling we in the theatre die if we stop doing our jobs mm-hmm. but theatre will keep going politicians are now becoming better actors than the actors because they've taken all our tricks I mean, Parliament's <laughs> a stage Parliament is the new reality show and Donald Donald Trump I mean hello I mean where did he crawl out of but it's so interesting actually yeah it's all theatre it's a and that's also the lesson one learns is that you've got to, you've got to respect your enemy. You've got to respect the person that you loathe mm. and not break them down. And then as you were saying, uh, about the, this extraordinary man who inspired you, you know, the, the, the courage. Uh, I've been tremendously inspired by Edna Everidge, obviously, mm. with this great Barry Humphreys. I mean, Barry Humphreys, his early work in the fifties sure. was so angry and so concerned. Mm. 
And of course, Edna became the queen of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the definition, uh, the comp- comparison between Edna and Evita is Edna was a social butterfly and Evita is a political monster, mm-hmm. you know. And so you, um, somebody once suggested that we appear together. And I wonder how that would have worked out. Evita would have hated it. She doesn't like men dressing up as women. <laughs> she doesn't of think it's natural. Does no. <laughs> Green Man Flashing uh, opens the 10th of April to the 12th of May at, of course, the Alton General Theatre on the Square. Um, and uh, David Dennis, you and a phenomenal cast. We're going to get some of them in next week. We can go more into the production then. Um, but I want to come back to you, uh, my darling, because mm. you are a darling. Uh, one of the most, I've got to tell you, because um, you're my, like, you my foil, David, man. <laughs> Be my, my Where's the setting, Alan? You're the sidekick. Um, Peter Dirk, I, I wanted to get hold of you to do an interview on 702. I was uh, 21 at the time. And um, Jenny Chris Williams said, mm. when you call and ask for Evita, make sure you say, Peter Dirk, may I, still, may I please speak to Evita? And um, you would then, or well, Peter Dirk would then bring Evita to the telephone and we would have, or Peter Dirk would book Evita for a telephone conversation those those times. Um, and, 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 and Jenny said, it's not Peter or Mr. S, it's Peter Dirk. Get that right. <laughs> um, and I, and and I then have had the pleasure in my life to do quite a bit of good television with you mm. and to play with you in 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 wonderful ways. Um, but the, the 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 two most interesting things about Evita that I've loved is that she is so accessible, but not. Um, she's so loved, but still knows her boundaries. She's so. How did you, how did you create her? How, how is it, how, hold on. How is, how, how was Evita born? <laughs> well, you know, she was it's a, a terrible, but I, I have a <laughs> photograph that can explain this. She was not created for, for any other reason than have a disguise in which to say things. In 1978, I had a, the only job I could get, um, because I couldn't, my work would, couldn't be done because of censorship and fear of censorship, meanings theaters closed down when the, Plays band. I was offered a, a, a weekly column in the Sunday Express. Mm. Thank you very much. My cat could be fed. I was paid one rand a word, which has not changed. Um, <laughs> and I created this Afrikaans Tani once a month who at a party in Pretoria would say, Scotty, have you heard? Have you heard? It was the time of the info scandal when Foster and all those bogus were stealing money. It was called policy. They're not corruption, but it, there was stuff to, to share. So the, to interrupt you, this is important to note that there's, the Foster era and the Zuma era were quite, I mean, the people were stealing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Let's be fair. Yes. They were stealing. And in those you know, days, it's kind of, it's true. In those days, they didn't have the, the social media. They didn't have Twitter and tweet. They had, they had total, total freedom because we were controlled from the brain to the bum. Um, and so, uh, Evita, would, this woman would say these things, and the editor called me in one day, he said, how is it possible that she can say these things? I can't put it on the front page. This Evita of Pretoria. So she gave the name, Evita. So when I did my first one-man show in 1981, Adapt or Die, I thought, well, I mean, Evita's known by a few people. I'll put Evita in the show, meaning I'll dress up as a woman, meaning I'll break the law. I'll mm. tick the box. <laughs> and she came at that moment. She was going to be in the show for three weeks and then end. But somehow she came at the right time. Somehow people wanted to laugh not at the joke but at the uh, the, uh, the absurdity of the obscenity of our politics. Mm-hmm. 
And so eventually Evita just got a surname, Besaidnet, because there was a poster on the wall of the, the market theatre. I let up Besaidnet in the mm-hmm. seagull. And when, the, when, uh, um, they asked me, what is her surname? I just said Besaidnet. <laughs> so a letter Besaidnet says, but originally they thought that Evita was my mother. Now they think she's my sister. Um, <laughs> and so then she became the ambassador to Babeti Kosweti. But the key to Evita, right from the beginning, instinctively, I think, because I don't think I knew how to actually articulated don't make fun of a woman respect the person make sure that evita is so real that the women recognize the woman and the men forget the man mm. that's the key absolutely that's the key and do you, do you, do you resonate with that oh, totally. you know and and that's why it is so important that when i when somebody phones me and i'm talk, giving an interview mm. and they say can we talk to evita i say well hang on i don't know if she's here i don't i don't suddenly go into the voice it's just not, it's not respectful. Mm. Uh, and I cannot use Evita to advertise my work. I mean, if somebody says, tell the audience that you're doing a show next Saturday. I said, well, I'm not doing the show. Evita's not doing the show. I'm, I'm it's Peter she yeah. won't. Because Evita's always said, oh, Peter Doge is a third-rate comedian. You know, he wears his dress. She says, fish look it. Well, next time I meet her, And it was great because um, it keeps us in different areas. Mm. Um, and, of course, in the old days, I used to write letters to the cabinet from Evita, she wrote to the Minister of Police, to Adrian Flock. Adrian, you're the Minister of Police, you must do your job. Peter Degas is a communist and a terrorist. He's wearing women's clothing. This on natürlich. Slate him up. Lock him up. Evita. And I post the letter with a giggle, you know, ha ha. <laughs> Three weeks later, a letter arrives back, addressed to Evita Besaidna, care of Peter Degas, from the Minister of Police. And he says, Evita Mescat, thank you for your letter. I can't lock up Peter Degas because the jails are full of everybody else. Yes, as the bloody bugger had a sense of humor. That was a shock. And really? don't <laughs> underestimate your enemy. Of course they have a sense of humor. Of course they have charisma. Nobody's stupid when they get to that, sen- that position mm-hmm. of power. So it was a great lesson to learn. So I'm very glad I don't have to meet Evita Besaidnet face to face. That's for sure. But I've even done an obituary for me when I die. She will be on TV that evening, on television. Oh, you've done it already. Of oh, course, of course done. And, and, I've and, met you, and she will phenomenal say... Phenomenal producers, by the way. I've met your, your producers in Darling. No, um, no, it's all there. And, and she will say, oh, Peter, that guy's well. I never understood the humor, but at least he had nice legs. <laughs> but at least I've got her on... She has a YouTube channel every Sunday on, on YouTube, uh, Evita's Free Speech. You know, we're now on episode 135. We've been doing it for two years. Yeah. So every, every week she's got four minutes of, of her free speech and, and comments. And that has kept her very much alive. Um, and on the international uh, highway, which is just great stuff. So I'm glad she's not here and I'm glad we can skin her about her behind no, her back. No, no, <laughs> I wonder if she's listening. She's quite cute though. <laughs> Don't be well, like well, to put her. Put gloves her. And know. Nelson Mandela, absolutely. Oh, Petra, bring a Vita. Where's a Vita? I mean, the last time I think <laughs> I stood next to him dressed as a Vita Besaid and he would call her in to all these wonderful things. Oh, entertain Oprah. Make her laugh. Make her laugh. And I just threw Evita's mouth and threw her hair. He was holding her hand like Ronald Reagan would hold Nancy's hand. I said to him, President Mandela, every time you see me, I'm dressed as Vita Besaidnot. He said, don't worry, Peter. I know you're inside. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, special guests in studio, Peter Dirk Ace and uh, David Dennis. I want to add a couple of things that I found quite extraordinary. I I did work with with Tata and... um, I'll never forget his 85th birthday. Um, you, you weren't at the, at the party where Bill and Hillary. That's right. And you were no, there. No, I was, no. But you did 
Uh, well, sorry, not you. Um, Evita yes. gave a wonderful uh, speech from London where she said, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, I told them to take their Nelson off and put our Nelson <laughs> yes, on. Yes, in Trafalgar Square. In Trafalgar yes, yes, yes. It was absolutely superb. But he loved you in no. that personality. And, and, and that is, that's incredible because it's not about transforming or being, it's about showing people a different side to the way they should or shouldn't see something. Mm. It, it's perception in some respect. And, and I think through all, through all your th- uh, Shakespeare, um, again, all his works are so interesting. Um, do you not think that a lot of the time it is the perception of what you see and the work of how you, it's performed? Yeah, uh, the biggest task for me has, has always been to make it accessible mm-hmm. and to make it now and make it contemporary. Yeah, I think it is couched in all that archaic language, but you mm-hmm. can break through that. You know, you don't have to. Um, one still finds the, the, the that storyline that are all so wonderfully universal, and they've been retold in so many ways. And very interestingly, uh, in a lot of uh, movies in, mm-hmm. in recent years, the last decade or, a decade or so, people still return to those narratives mm-hmm. and still raise them. You know. Um, as being fairly pertinent and and, and relevant, um, you know. For what me, what is your your greatest character? I mean, whether you would like to perform it or direct it or be it. Well, I missed the boat with Hamlet uh, again. I wasn't blonde and blue eyed in those days. You had to be blonde and blue eyed to play Hamlet. Now, of course, you get black women playing Hamlet. Mm. Uh, so you know, you mm. see how things have changed. And uh, Bernadette was, was blonde here. Then. Yes, <laughs> so, I mean, yes, really. exactly. <laughs> I did quip about that uh, at the Florida Cup Awards. But suffice to say, you know, uh, what's the relevance of Shakespeare? We don't teach it in schools. It's not on the syllabus. Uh, you know, at drama schools, etc. But it's the real t- uh, test of the metal for the actor, I think, having to scale that poet, mm. the poetics of it, etc., the depth of meaning and understanding, the classical illusion, all of that. But to find the contemporary message underneath it and make that immediately relevant and biting. Um, and it was always important for me to use things as removed as a Shakespeare might appear to be to, uh, and to approach a very relevant South African to find some something South African about it that I could deeply relate to, would make sense of the choices that I make made. You asked the question about the best or what I would uh, you know aspire to play. When I was about forty six, I was I played uh, King Lear. Mm. Now I don't believe you're uh, an eighty three year old man could play Lear. I, I was exhausted every night going through those <laughs> emotions, etc. Um, uh, and it was interesting about this old man. Uh, having to divest himself of power and hand it over to his daughters, the brother-in-laws, uh, yeah, the, the, the sons-in-law rather, etc., and, and, and the power struggle around all of that. But what was so interesting was starting from this irascible opening to the center of the play, if you like, where in the famous mad scene on the, on the blasted heath, this man actually, when he's completely shed everything in all trappings of power and is literally reduced to a homeless man, um, speaks this most beautiful speech in what I, I call the, the calm, the eye of the storm and the calm in the play when he talks of, um, at his most majestic moment, mm. poor naked wretches wheresoe'er thou art that bide the pelting of this pitiless storm. How shall your houseless heads and unfed sides, your looped and windowed raggedness, defend you from seasons such as these? Mm-hmm. 
Beautiful. I must tell you. Beautiful, beautiful. Would you like to sing a song, Peter Jake? <laughs> Not to sing a song, but you know, it's about the story. That's what theatre is. Theatre is the story. And that's why protest theatre was not very successful. It was very short. Amandla, Freedom Mouse Mandela. Now we've got to dance and sweat over the front row of liberals. Mm. And there's a, but stories with, with, you know, with, which, which people identify with and either make them cry or make them laugh. Um, I just love it. I just love mm. it. And that's Deeply what Shakespeare, intimate. and that's what he's got. He knew where the story was in every single thing. And then, of course, the language, which is just that it tickles. Like some feather. You, oh, I just love it. I, yeah. I'm scared of it because I was brought up on Afrikaans Shakespeare from Eiskirche. So I thought Shakespeare was Afrikaans, you know, <laughs> Willem Wickelspies. But then my mother grew up in Germany and she heard Shakespeare in Berlin. She said, no, he was German. And that's Shakespeare. He is to everybody what they think he was supposed to be and could be any language. In I have, uh, well, I never had the pleasure, God rest her, to meet your mother. But an incredible inspiration to you. And you have brought, brought it through your pieces in some sense. Mm. And I, I had the pleasure to meet your mother at uh, just a couple of weeks ago, who is glorious, I must tell you. At 83 now, at and 83 still working. And still, yeah, mm. and, and, and still gave you that mother look, like, come dear. <laughs> <laughs> Something's never you know, changed. <laughs> they shouldn't. But again, incredible families, incredible, in some sense, the inspiration to where you have come. Yeah, I'm, I'm just listening to to Peter. I mean, when I, um, I I can't say I was there at the birth of Evita, but I remember so clearly Adapt or Die and the hustling for tickets to get into the Baxter Concert Hall to see this incredible performance. Mindful of the fact that this man is an actor, and that is where he started out in the theatre. And yes, of course, Evita became this iconic character, and and and, and so did all his uh, renditions. Uh, you know. It, it's marvelous watching those kinds of performances as well. For me, this was d- deeply inspiring as a younger actor. But so many interesting coincidences, Peter. You, the music background, your family, mm. my, my mother and her two sisters had to bring out the violins and do the piano duets when, vis- uh, when visitors came to my granddad's house. And it's that kind of background, and that's what feeds the soul, the inspiration, and the desire to actually go into the arts and to make something of it, to make it work. The act of theatre. Theatre is not theatre unless there is an audience present with mm-hmm. the actor there. It is neither, it is nothing before or after that act. The act of theatre is the, the coming together of people to witness and to hear the play. Um, well, I also have a Jewish parent. Uh-huh. My, on my father's side. Yes. So all of these things sort of uh, wonderful coincidences. <laughs> you know, it's so crazy when you go to the movies now. And I go in the morning. I like going in the morning because I'm usually the only one in the cinema. But sometimes I am the, in the only one. And if I wasn't the only one, that film would still be playing. The aut- the automatic thing of put the film on doesn't matter if there's nobody there. That's frightening. And the thing about theatre is if there's nobody there. There's nobody there. And if there are two people there, you don't cancel. That's the lesson I learned when I did my play, my first play in London in 1969. I had four actors on stage. We were at the London Film School. I took over one of the cinemas during the holidays. And the principal of the film school said, well, if you can get me cinema seats, you can do the show. So I wrote 35 letters to various people asking for money for my play. And I got two letters back, one from the Duchess of Bedford. She gave me a hundred pounds and one from Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. They gave me a hundred pounds so I could buy cinema seats, put cinema seats, do my play. 
And the opening night was, I just sent an invitation to Ingrid Bergman and to Sophia Loren and to Marlene Dietrich. And Marlene read me a letter saying she couldn't come. And Sophia sent me a telegram. And, and, if he, and, and Ingrid Bergman was in the theater next door saying she was acting. But it was like a, it was a fantastic performance and everything. I'd forgot to invite the critics. <laughs> and, so, and so the second performance we did, there were, there were three people in the audience and we were four people on stage. And I went, out and I said, listen, if you're, if you're nervous about sitting in a small theater, I can give you tickets for Friday when there should be six people. They said, no, 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 we'd like to see it. So I said, well, sit together, which they did. We did the play. The man turned out to be a Texan who took us all to eat at the uh, Angus meat, you know, where, the, where <laughs> you could have a steak in 1969. And the woman was Patricia McNaughton, who is my agent to this day. Mm. If I had canceled... My life would have been different. And this is what I say to all the actors today who say, oh, there are only 20 people. We're not going to play. I said, you play. Don't blame the people who are here for the people who are not here. And that is so important, that discipline of respect. That that 28, uh, you know, those those 28 people could make the difference to your season continuing. Absolutely. Everyone who speaks to another one, etc. Word of mouth is. And now, of course, you do it with the Twitter. You press a button and 2,000 people know what you're talking about. Well, things have changed. Um, this is CliffCentral.com. My name is Alan Ford, and uh, I'm with uh, the phenomenal Peter Dirk Ace and David Dennis here in studio. And I want to thank uh, Hazel Feldman for opening the show. And still a tribute to my Winnie, Madigzela Mandela, Auntie Winnie, um, the mother of the nation. Um, and I've got another mother of the nation, maybe <laughs> to be a note with us. Well, not here. I mean, she's outside somewhere. We can't, I'm sure she's, she's with Morph the Brain and he's in. No, she's now, Gork. she's now a member of the ANC and oh, they really deserve her. Gosh, yes, they're quite nervous, but she's, they? she's, yeah, she's cooking for them and she's put them on a diet. But when in that say, darling, okay, it's, uh, at, uh, the studio theater at Monte Casino. It's an exceptional show. Please go and see it. Because otherwise, really, you can't stop watching Game of Thrones. There's no time for that. You can record Game of Thrones yeah, and, and watch it after you've seen my show. show. <laughs> um, but Darling is special, and I want to bring it up for a number of reasons, that when you're in Darling, you are a Darling, and you found it like a Darling, and you are the Darling to Darling, and how many Darlings are there in the world? But we all Darlings, fabulous Darlings, Darling David with us, and Darling Peter. Um, Darling's incredible, and the stories told in the show, and I think people need to understand how incredible the story is because you found it on your way to somewhere else in uh, the mid 90s yes i took a wrong turning and i ended up in darling biggest mistake of my life i didn't mean to go there <laughs> and i bought a house there and i moved there and i've been there ever since i started a little theater in the old railway station everybody said you're mad and mad is good because nobody thought of it before mm-hmm. and um, we have a, a wonderful relationship with our community who are part of our lives, and I'm part of their lives. We've um, we've got an early childhood de- development centre with seventy little chochas every year between the age of three and five. Who, who Unbelievable. You take all over the place, by the way. We take them. We take the kiddies to on Mandela Day. Those sixty-seven minutes. Evita in flat shoes is the only time she doesn't wear high heels on the gravel road. She takes the kiddies up like, like Julie Andrews or like Princess Diana with all the little kids up to the SPCA. And we spend those 67 minutes, the children come to terms with their fear of animals, mm. the scared Especially of cats dogs and, and dogs. dogs yeah. And they stroke the kitty and they brush the little dog. And that has really created a culture of pets and animals which are respected. And I've told them all that the Constitution respects 
everybody, including pets, including trees. I sound a bit like Shirley MacLaine. But, you know, you have to tell the kids about the magic of the reality of life. It's life. happens everywhere. I think our wildlife has more protection than than people. And, And perhaps rightly so, because they generally don't have a voice. Wildlife should also include the most beautiful trees that we just chopped okay. down before. Yeah. You know, we are very, very careless. But there's something wonderful about living in a small community because there, I mean, it's not, it, listen, it is not a Walt Disney film. There are mm. all the problems of the cities. There is the tick problem, which is destroying communities all over the country. Terrifying. There's unemployment. There is fetal alcoholism. There's all the horror stories, but there are no statistics like in the cities. Where they say, oh, 90% and 12 out of 15. And everybody's got a name. So the child with a problem belongs to that parent and that family. And it becomes very personal and it becomes extremely familiar. It's, it's there, it's tangible. Um, and our Voorkamer Fest, which is just one of the most amazing festivals in the world. I mean, where people come park their cars at the Peron, get into a township taxi and go and see entertainment in people's front rooms mm-hmm. in the community, in a, in a, in a one little RDP house. And that's happening again in the beginning of September. Um, so yeah. And you know, again, I say to people, you know, it's not about funding. It's about fun. I want to use the F word to fight fear. Fun. Because fun means, yes, we know it's serious, but we don't want to run away from it. We can confront it and also laugh. And enjoy. Um, and uh, I want other communities to realize that there is talent everywhere. There is an enormous amount of talent in this country. I mean, just celebrate it and give it a chance. Put your child on the kitchen table and say, sing. And when the child says, well, give me a rand first, then you know that child's got a, got a, got a good future ahead of them. <laughs> For you, uh, David, I mean, incredible life, incredible. I mean, firstly, what an honor to have both of you sitting with me because I think you're incredible humans. But to be... To translate that to other people, what would you say to young people who, who want to follow their dreams and especially in this particular industry, which I think is not easy Mm-mm. because it's, it's, it, 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 it's not Hollywood and people think it's Hollywood and you're going to think there's a limousine, but there's not a, you're lucky if you've, if you've got a bucky or a, or a foxy, you know, you, <laughs> seriously, you're lucky if you get paid, you know, it's, it's that type of thing. You know, I, uh, another area of resonance with Peter is um, 20 years of, well, almost 20 years of association with Soul City, mm. um, which is as old as the democracy, and uh, the advent of this production was uh, in 94, um, addressing those kinds of social ills, um, social relevant, social realism, issues around social realism. And, and again, it also it signified the time where uh, entertainment, if you like, National television embraced African languages for the first time. And uh, here we are bringing on millions of people uh, in, into the fold in terms of listenership and, and viewership on television and so on. Um, that to me became one of the most significant things because, again, that, that particular issue confronted me. What do I do? I'd come from a Waterford Come Club, a background uh, with that kind of uh, education and understanding and experience of the world as I knew it uh, under apartheid. Um, what do I do and make this thing, this job of being an actor relevant, uh, you know, now in a changing scenario in South Africa, rapidly changing? And it was Bobby Heaney who actually approached me and said, you speak closer, don't you? Um, well, we've got this part. Uh, it's a series called Soul City, um, and it's about a, a man who is confronting the issue of 
discovering his status as HIV positive. And that was my introduction into season three in Salt City. And I remained with them for over 10 series, mm. you know, over 20 years and branched out into social activism, if you like, um, into outreach programs uh, where I got the opportunity with some of the Soul City people because it grew from there, going to prisons, uh, you know, speaking to young offenders, first-time offenders um, in Brits, uh, the rehabilitation center there, and many other communities uh, around, in and around Johannesburg and around the country. Um, so a lot of my work Involved, you know, it, it largely went out into social outreach. That was a terribly important part of mine. Well, that's, uh, firstly, thank you. Um, I look forward to, to spending more time with you and being with you in the future. Peter Dirk Ace, the show is at, uh, at Monte Casino at uh, the little the studio theater. Mm-hmm. It cannot be missed. Uh, it is superb. And, uh, and please go and see it. And, uh, David, uh, Dennis, I mean, at, uh, Auto in General, starting on the 10th of April, it's, uh, it's gonna be a phenomenal show. But to the two of you, I want to just say it's an honor. It's a pleasure. Um, please would you give this to Evita? You know, I, I specifically, um, I, I got to Ruda from, Ruda Lampan from Carte Blanche to interview her. To um, interview Evita there. Yes, yes do you, at Evita Superon. Do, uh, do you remember uh, that? I do, and there's a picture of all of the, you three together. I know. It, I looks, mean, it looks like Evita with her I daughter. Know. And you, her son. you were terrified. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that is. Or her grandson. Oh, you can choose. Darling, I'm just Thank in 40. I'm certainly going to be happy with that one. <laughs> okay. and, and, and it's such an honor. Guys, I want you to know that uh, you, you, this is quite legendary and it's so happy to have you together. Thank you. I want you to know that, uh, that we thank you on behalf of all the people of, of the world and this country and people that want to perform and say it out loud and be happy. And thank you, darlings. Thank you, darling. Um, that thank is absolutely incredible. <laughs> uh, my name is Alan Ford. This is cliffcentral.com. And remember, we still don't know who is the thin, the rich, but we know definitely, darling, who's fabulous. The Unview, the Thin, the Rich, and the Fabulous on CliffCentral.com. This is CliffCentral.com.